You'll remember a couple of weeks ago that we finished up a three or four month series on 2 Peter. We went through 1 Peter all of last semester and 2 Peter this semester. I hope you are aware of that. Uh, the message that day was grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been thinking about that ever since, and I'm praying that I will do that, and I hope you as well are asking the Lord to help you grow in His grace and knowledge of Him. Last week, I did my best to present the gospel from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. If you want to remember what the gospel is, it's one of the best places in the whole Bible to go. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It basically says this, and listen carefully if you don't know what the gospel is. It says we were born dead in the sin of the human race because of Adam and Eve's sin. Like everyone, deserving the righteous wrath of God. We are already born under wrath, objects of wrath, Paul says. But God, that's verse 4, what wonderful two words those are. But God, rich in mercy and grace through Jesus, calls us out of that darkness and sin into his light by faith in the finished substitution of Jesus on the cross and we can be born again into an eternal inheritance as children of God by putting our faith in that substitution. That's the good news. I hope you know it. Brother Rick has taught us that there are four parts of it. God, His goodness, His holiness, He loves us. Sin, we wrecked what He made. Our sin is the problem of the world. Jesus, Jesus came to to redeem us from sin, to pay the debt of our sin, and our response, which is, you must be born again. You must put your faith, you must open the door, hear his voice and open the door and trust in Jesus, and you will be born again. Today, I would like to take one step more from the gospel, connected to the gospel through Ephesians 2.10, which says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Say it out loud. Thank you. I can't, quite, I can't hardly hear you. Good works that he's prepared for us to do. Well, the good works are his mission in the world. The good works are speaking the truth in love and filling the world with the knowledge of his glory as the waters fill the sea. That's the good work. Caillou and Dunny have been called to do that in a dedicated way. I don't call every Christian a missionary. Some people say that. Every Christian is a missionary. Every Christian is on mission. Wherever you are, you're to speak the truth in love about Jesus. But some people are called to represent the church, to be sent out from the church. Acts 13 says that, that they were praying in Antioch and the Spirit said, set aside Barnabas and Paul for the work that I have planned for them to do. That's ascending. And then it says, sent out by the Holy Spirit and the church, they went to do that dedicated work, living by faith, spending their time making disciples and telling people about Jesus. So today our message is entitled, Faith Comes by Hearing, Living at the Heart of the Gospel. On Saturday, April 25th, 2015, just before noon, the Gorka earthquake, 7.8 on the Richter scale, rocked the poor country of Nepal, 
killing around 9,000 people, injuring 100,000, and displacing a third of the population of the country. Right at noon. Barnabas Canal, one of our action missionaries, raised thousands and thousands of dollars from the church around the world for food and shelter and other necessities and trucked them in through India on broken roads to love people in Christ's name, always telling the gospel as they handed out food and tarps and medicine, helping hundreds of people. By that action, BP became a a political representation for all of those rural churches. Today, people trust him because that began a whole ministry that he has there. Now, Saturday is when the church gathers in Nepal. They gather on Saturday because Sunday is the first work day of the week. And the pastor was preaching the message when the earthquake happened and the wall of his church fell on him. There was an intern in the church. Everyone escaped for the ones that hadn't been killed. And the intern went to, to care for the head pastor who was his mentor. He was being trained to go into pastoral ministry. And the pastor wasn't dead yet. But he couldn't get him out. And he was about to die. And he lay by his mentor as he died. And BP tells me that the last words of this pastor were the following. We must believe in him even now. All that we see is passing away. Take advantage of every opportunity to serve him by telling others the good news. And he died. And that young man became the pastor of that church. What a beautiful testimony of a man who lived to his last breath for preaching the good news that can save every person who calls on the name of the Lord, who believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth. Have we forgotten? Are we obeying this gospel? Romans 10, 1 through 17, that we read a little bit earlier, and we won't take the time to read it again, backs into the heart of the gospel. Paul starts with the end of the process and then starts taking steps. What came before that? What came before that? What came before that? And I want to do that with you this morning, one step at a time, so that you can see where are we to live as followers of Jesus at the very heart of the good news. The first step, whoops, context. Text without context is pretext, right? So we're talking about uh, this part of Romans where Paul has been talking about election, that the Jews were God's chosen people. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. He chose the Jews to be the vehicle of salvation. He's done that with you if you're a believer. He's done that with the church today. We are his instrument, chosen by him, chosen by Christ to do his work. But then in verse 13, Paul says, All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He repeats this, uh, verse 89. What does it say? He's talking about Deuteronomy. Moses, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That's the message concerning faith that we proclaim. 
If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise of Scripture. But Paul asks a question. Oh, you know, I was going to give you a little example here from Jesse first. Jesse depends on my wife so much that sometimes it irks me. Because from somewhere in the house, I'll hear her say, Mom! And I know that it kind of irks my wife too, but she's so loving and such a great mother that she says, Yes, Jesse, I'll come in a minute. And I'm like, Jesse, your mother's not your slave. But that call echoed in my heart as I thought about, what does it mean to call on the Lord? It's not something you do once and for all. It's something you do out of the depths of your depression and anxiety and financial difficulties and need for a job or a husband. You call on the name of the Lord. It seems ridiculous in this secular, materialistic, individualistic world. And you call out. I hope you do that sometimes out loud. Maybe there's nobody around to hear you. Maybe you're in the shower or it's middle of the night and you say, Jesus, help me. The promise is that if you do that in faith, he will help you. He hears you. And he will save you. Even in that temporary difficulty that you have. Just like my wife. Well, a little better even. Saves Jesse from whatever little crisis she's having. But Paul continues to the, to the next step before that. Paul says, how shall they call on the one in whom they have not believed? Well, we have an answer for that question in Portuguese, don't we? Da boca para fora. That's how. That's how you call if you don't believe. You do it from your mouth outward. You do it as a hypocrite. You do it as some kind of a neck charm. You open your Bible to Psalm 91 and put it on your dashboard so you won't have a crash. That's not what he's talking about, is it? You have to believe in your heart along with the call that God calls you to give. So this is from verse 14. But he supports it in verse 4. If you have your Bibles open, I hope you do. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who does what? Believes. Righteousness by faith. That's what Abraham did. Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. It's the faith that is salvation. And the call is the act, the work that that faith produces. Right? We are saved through faith by God's grace. We're confident that he will answer, and so we call. We call out, Lord, help me. Verse 16, the second part of verse 16. Lord, who has believed our message? This is right out of Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? Who has believed our message? Guess who? Those who call in faith and are saved. But it's also those who obey the gospel, which you'll see at the end in a second. 
Salvation is a deeper and deeper, more and more constant call. Back in chapter 9, he says, The people of Israel who pursued the law as, they, as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. They've not found righteousness through the law. Verse 32 of chapter 9, Romans, Romans 9, 32. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, which is the offense of the cross of Christ. My Catholic neighbor tells us all the time, you evangelicals think it's so easy. Yes, because Jesus gets all the glory. He did it. He finished the work on the cross. And what I do is open up to him and say, Jesus, pour your grace on me. The call by faith. We were once working with a, a young lady at our ministry here in Sao Paulo who was manifesting an evil spirit. In fact, there were several. And it turned out, the long story short, you may have heard this story before, but uh, her mother had dedicated her in her womb to an evil spirit in exchange for a favor. She wanted a certain man to fall in love with her. This is all over in Brazil. She had paid somebody to do some work in the spiritual realm, connect her with this man, and had dedicated her unborn child to that spirit in exchange for that favor. Well, the man did come, lived with this woman, abused her baby girl, and the spirit was true to his word and took over her life and, in, and welcomed many others. We, we dealt with several evil spirits over that 24-hour period. Well, the story I want to tell you is about a volunteer in the girl's house, a young woman who had come from Europe, Germany, I believe. She'd never seen anything like this before. And so she's kind of standing back just to sort of see, is this real? Is that a demon's voice I'm hearing? And the fight went through the night into the next morning. And the next morning, we were standing around her. And one thing we talked about in Abba a lot was vicarious faith. Because in the story of the paralytic, when they let down that man through the roof before Jesus, the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, be healed and be forgiven. Their faith cured their friend. And so we stood around that girl, hold, held our hands and says, we believe for you. We're believing that God brought you here, that he's chosen you, that he has a, a place for you in his kingdom. But now you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Call out to him in faith and he will save you. But the demons kept whispering in her ears, but I'm going to kill your mother because that breaks the contract. By the way, one of the missionaries found Colossians 2, 13 and 14. If you haven't memorized that, that verse, you should probably do it because in a fight with a demon, they hate this verse. It says the written contract against you was nailed to the cross and dissolved in Jesus' blood. It no longer exists. This missionary got out that verse and read it, and the demon was furious because it knew the battle was won. Well, the young lady didn't know, and we kept saying, we believe for you, we believe for you, but we believe for you. And suddenly she whirled around. She pointed at the kitchen door where that young German girl was leaning against the doorpost and said, she doesn't believe. Wow. We hadn't even seen the girl leaning against the doorpost. And later that German girl told me, the demon was right. 
I was questioning, I was doubting, I wasn't in, I wasn't standing in the circle. But I was so proud of her. She didn't fight, she didn't quarrel, she didn't turn away. She strode right up to that girl, looking her in the eye, and said, I believe in Jesus, and his blood washes us free from our sin, and his name has all authority in heaven and on earth. And she joined the circle. And that young lady was freed. She was adopted by a Pentecostal pastor, praise the Lord. If you believe in your heart and you call out with your voice, with your mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But then Paul takes another step back. He says, wait a minute. In order to believe, you have to have heard. How will they believe in him whom they have never heard? Of whom they have never heard. They've never heard, and so how can they believe? How can they trust the one of whom they've never heard? There are 17,000 identifiable ethnic groups in the world. 17,000. Joshua Project. You can look it up online. 3,300 of those have absolutely no witness. They are what's called frontier people groups. Less than one in a thousand has accepted Christ. They've never heard. They don't have any way of hearing. The gospel is not in their language. It's not accessible to them. 4,000 more, so about half of these 17,000 people groups, have no reproducing church. So they may be one or two percent that are believers, but the church is not healthy enough to start reproducing and reach that people group for Christ. So I was thinking about this call, this voice that caused my faith to grow. What made my faith grow? Why did I believe and then call out for Jesus? I thought about my dad. As you know, I grew up on a mission base. All of my aunts and uncles, surrogate aunts and uncles and cousins, were following God in the Great Commission to take the New Testament to 40 to 50 language groups of Colombia, South America. Most of those groups today have the New Testament translated in their language because of those aunts and uncles and my dad who would fly back and forth to the jungle in his little airplane, taking them out and taking them back. To me, that's what church was. I thought we were all marching toward the nations doing that. Well, my dad lived by faith and had six children. I thought it looked like so much fun, I decided to do the same thing. But I can close my eyes and remember my dad's voice in our little mission base house saying, Betsy, that was my mom's name, we didn't get much support this month. What can we give away? I'm like, what? You don't have enough, so you're going to give something away? That was a key to my life. Because it was faith from my dad, who had six little mouths to feed, who didn't have enough money, and knew that God sent him everything he needed, and God gives to those who are generous. Give, and it will be given unto you. Press down, overflowing. In the same measure that you give, it will be given to you. It's a promise, not for prosperity, for mission. So he says, what can we give away? Let's give more. We need Lord's help this month. I heard that voice. I believed it. And I confessed, and that 
has become the walk of faith for me. Parents, I hope that's the voice your kids hear at your house. Not the voice of complaining, the voice of worrying, the voice of anxiety, but the voice of faith. God is real. He's here. I depend on him. Your children are listening. doesn't matter if you bring them to church, if at home you're not confessing Jesus as Lord. What do they hear that makes them believe? And can I ask you, what voices are you listening to? What reels come up on your Instagram feed? What music makes your heart tick? What are you reading? What voices do you listen to? You're listening to the voice of worry and doubt? It really makes sense. In fact, in today's world, if you're not a little worried, it's because you're not very intelligent. Have you noticed that? But that's not what the Bible says. Listen to the Word of God. Listen to the Holy Spirit in your heart. Believe and confess every step of the way. That's the mission. But then Paul goes one more step back. How are they to hear unless someone is preaching? How are they to hear unless someone is preaching? Now this enters in a second person. Salvation isn't normally an individualistic thing. There's someone out there talking. There's someone creating media and sending it by, tele, by satellite like Sat7 does. There's someone learning a language in order to tell you that Jesus can save you. There's a second person involved. Someone out there is preaching. Verse uh, 8 talks about this. What does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. You know, if you see a beautiful sunset and you're with people anywhere, you can say, look at the sunset that the Lord Jesus made today. That's all you need to say. That's preaching it. Look how, look how beautiful God made you. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Preach it in a world that doesn't believe in the creator. The word comes out of our mouth and does its work. And Paul, or the, the, the disciples of Jesus say, how can we but speak of the things we have seen and heard? I hope that's the burning in your heart. How can I but say how good my God is? What he's done for me has to be told. Your testimony has power. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Sometimes we hope people will come knock on our door, just figure it out and come ask us. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? In the wisdom of God, he wants you to go knock on their door, just like Jesus came and knocked on yours and say, could I pray for you? The Lord's putting you on my heart. Are you okay? I like to just serve you. Don't throw it in their face. Don't preach when they're not listening. Don't throw pearls before swine. But you do need to say it so that they can hear and believe and confess and be saved. How will they believe on the one in whom they, of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone preaches? Well, we're getting back to the beginning of this process. 
What's the next one? In verse 15, Paul asks another question. How are they to preach unless they are sent? This is the bottom line of missions. The sending of the church is what helps the world know Jesus. The church sends missions. The church prays. The church gives. The church raises up disciples and speaks over them. Wow, you have a gift. I want to send you out. I got to preach a couple of times when I was in high school. And you'll remember my uncle Joel Stolte, who called me a week before he died, remember to tell me that the Old Testament had been finished in the Batasana language. He came up to me, a man I respected. And he looked at me in the eye after I preached that night as a 17-year-old kid. And he said, Thomas Smoke, you have a gift. I will pay for your seminary. I don't have enough money to pay for all of it, but I will contribute to the payment of your seminary if you want to go to seminary. That was a call. That was a sending. That was a confirmation of something Jesus was doing me that I needed to hear. I needed a, I needed a mentor to come to me and speak that over me. And I'm probably your interim pastor partly because of Uncle Joel. Call it out. Notice this is a third person. So we have the person who's hearing, believing, and calling. We have the person who's preaching. And we have another person or persons behind that person who are blowing them out from the church with the gospel in their mouths and their hands, sending them to preach so that the world will hear and believe and call for salvation. It can't be done by yourself. So those of you who are being called to missions, the young generation that I talk to are scared to death of raising support. You want to go and be rich and then go tell the world so you can just depend on yourself. That's not how it works. Yes, there's business's mission. Yes, self-supported is a good thing in some places. But don't deprive the church of the greater blessing, which is what? To give is greater blessing than to receive. And you know what? It's the widow's might that is more powerful, more quantity before God than all the riches of the rich donors. Give the church an opportunity. Let me tell you something. Susanna and I have lived by faith for 30 years, and we made a commitment at the very beginning of that time not to ask anybody for money. We have never asked anyone. I'm talking about going up to somebody and saying, hey, Caillou, would you consider prayerfully giving us $50 a month? Never done it. And I know there are some people that do that, and there's not a sin. It's not in the Bible. What I wanted was to be sure Jesus was doing it. I wanted his direction through his provision. So we'd ask for prayer. We'd inform. We'd say, hey, we're going to work with street kids in Brazil. Nobody's paying us. And we have two kids. Here's the budget. Pray. Ask the Lord to provide if this is his will. And he has provided through his church. About 50 individuals, Susanna's home church and my home church, which are interestingly enough, both called Emmanuel. Emmanuel Presbyterian and Emmanuel Baptist on two different sides of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> How beautiful, says Isaiah 52, 7, are the feet on the mountains of those who bring good news. Wait a minute. Feet don't proclaim. Feet send. Feet take. Feet mobilize. The feet, and they're not very beautiful, by the way, by the time they get to the mountains. The beautiful thing is that the church works together to send, to preach, to disciple the nations. 
It's all of us on board. It takes about 100 senders to send one worker. So when you pray, Lord of the harvest, send workers, you're praying for 100 times more senders, that's praying, training, encouraging, and giving, than you are goers. Because the church of Jesus Christ is his body. It has feet, it has hands, and it has a mouth to proclaim once you get there. But it takes an awful lot to finally get there, learn the language, live among them, incarnate your ministry, and then finally, maybe, two, three, ten years later, see people come to Christ because of this three-part process. Sending, preaching, believing, and calling. See, it's on the mountains because the good shepherd goes after lost sheep that are out there on the mountains. Your neighbor in Sao Paulo has a thousand ways to hear the gospel. Yeah, he probably needs to hear it from you too, or she. But there's a thousand ways they can find the gospel. And there are people who have never heard it, and there is nobody they know who has ever heard it. They don't know the name of Jesus. They don't have a cell phone, and if they do, the internet is not in their language. You don't think that's true because you live in a place where everything's at your fingertips, and you can find 100,000 sermons in Portuguese on YouTube. What are we doing? It's not fair for anybody to hear the good news twice before everybody has heard it once. Now I'm preaching. I told somebody I was going to throw a grenade over my shoulder and walk out today. We are to look for lost sheep in the name of the good shepherd who loves them, who knows everyone, who died for them. And let me tell you something, not all go, but all send. Sending is something every disciple does. How do you make a disciple? You teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded us, which is... Love one another and go and make disciples of all nations. So that send is part of being disciples. By the way, turn around, look at that. Did you see that? That's, that's Susie Peck and her decoration committee. Put that up this week. Um, so that we remember what Pastor Gary said on his last Sunday and what I'm telling you on my last Sunday Go and make disciples, not just of your children, not just of Brazilians, of all nations. And there's a lot left to do. One day I was in my office, and a light, a bright light, like a triangle, hit my white wall. I thought, is the hand of God writing on my wall? And I followed the light, looked out the window, went out of my office, looked down the street, and somebody was moving a full-length mirror, putting it in his truck. And the sun had hit that mirror and shined all the way down the street into my office window and hit my wall and made me get up and go outside and look at the sun. And I said, Lord, that's all I am. I'm a dirty mirror being moved to where you can reflect your glory off of my face so that people will say, Jesus loves me because a white man came all the way here to tell me the good news. You're just a ray of light. But you know what? We lock ourselves in a closet somewhere 
or we stay among Christians, or we stay in reached places, and that sun keeps hitting us, and it's just reflecting on us. We think we can just bask in the light of it and say, oh, glory to God. And he's saying, wait, I'm sending you. Shine out into the darkness. Let's shine. Let's speak. Let's send. Send how? Here are four ways. Number one, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. If you don't have an alarm at 9.38, I suggest you make one. Matthew 9.38 commands you to plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. That's our job, every single one of us. Now, maybe that doesn't work for you like it does for me, but you're to do it. You send by praying, number one. Pray for your kids. Pray for those you know or have a calling. Pray for yourself. And ask God to send workers. Second way you send, send yourself. Isaiah 6 says, here am I, send me. I believe it's the more you know the sending God, the more he will send you. And it won't be the same as anybody else. You don't have to go where somebody else has gone. I hope you don't. I met a man in northern Iraq, fearlessly preaching the gospel on Facebook, does a Facebook Live Bible story every morning, and then he has all these radical Muslims attacking him, so far only on Facebook. He says, if I die, I die, but I will preach the gospel on Facebook with public posts so that I can reach as many people as I can before I go. Wow. That's how I want to be. Fearless in our proclamation, sending ourselves to our neighbors. Last Saturday, we had our Festa Junina. Now, some of you are going to be scandalized by this, and that's okay, because I'm now a missionary and not a pastor. <laughs> I organized it. I invited everybody. I hung, them up. I hung up the banderinhas. I bought the batata doce. I started the fire and called everybody to come. I got the chairs and put them around the fire so that I could open up John 3 and say, listen to what Juan Bautista says about Jesus. It's Jesus. John says, I can't save you, but I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I know. It's a festa junina. There was vinho quente. Send yourself. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't give the great, exciting feedback that you want it to all the time. But sending is the gospel. God so loved the world that he sent. The third way you can send is to identify callings and fan them into flame. Find people in this church who have gifts and say, hey, the Lord needs you. Hey, you're a great football player. Go play with athletes in action. <laughs> Fan gifts into flame. And then finally, of course, encourage, pray, give generously to the mission of God. My, my mother-in-law, Marilyn Spradley, that I'm actually going on Tuesday to help move out of her house and move into a, an assisted living uh, apartment, is the best missionary sender I know. Never once did she say, oh, Susanna, I sure wish you'd just stay at, stay at home so I could be close to my grandkids. No, she says, when can I come and visit you? I want to be close to my grandkids. And what can I bring you in my bags? Because I don't need anything. I'll bring my carry-on with my clothes, and then all my luggage is yours. What do you need? And she goes out and buys it. She's come to Brazil 14 times. 
Not because she loves Brazil so much. It's kind of hard because she doesn't understand anybody. She can't sleep at night. She says they speak two languages in Sao Paulo, Portuguese and dog barking. (laughs) And our street's the worst in the whole city, I think. It's because she loves us and she loves what we're doing and she's blowing us as far as she can get us as her kids with her beloved grandkids. She's sending us out like this, like that arrow shooting us as far as she can shoot us. Moms, be careful. God did not call your children an arrow so you could hang it over your hearth or sit it at your Sunday lunch table. Don't hold back what God is doing in your kids. They're being called. The Spirit is blowing them. Don't you dare go against the Holy Spirit. Dads too, but it's mainly moms, I think. We dads like to send them out. There's another step, and we're finishing. What would cause you to send your children to a place where they might die? What would cause God to send his most precious son, in a sense, send himself to become flesh and live a perfect life and die an undeserved death in our place? What causes him to do that? We don't send because we don't love. It's the love of God that's at the heart of the good news. My friends, we don't think about that because we don't love the nations that God died for. He loves them so much. He thinks about those lost sheep every day. And we sit in the flock and be happy in Him. And that's a wonderful first step. But the more you know Him, the more you love Him, the more you will keep His commandments. And you'll look at Him and you'll see Him looking over there. And you'll say, what are you looking at, Father? Oh, I'm looking at these 3,000 unreached ethnic groups that I want around my throne And you guys are saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And I'm here saying, go people, go people, because I want to come. But I'm not going to come until the gospel is preached to all nations. And then the end will come. Wake up. It's such a treasure to take the blessing of the good news to people who have never heard it. It's such a blessing to give. Yesterday I was at a youth retreat. One of our missionaries is is a single woman in that church. She wants to go to a camp in a dangerous neighborhood of Bogota in Colombia, and she doesn't have anything. And she told me that this week. She says, I hope I can go to the camp, and I've put it in my prayer letter, but I don't have hardly enough to buy food. How am I going to buy a plane ticket to Colombia? Well, at the end of the message, I got to be up front, so I said, hey, Talita wants to go to Bogota. How much does it cost? 3,000 reais, round trip. By the end of the meeting, she had it. From a bunch of young people, They picked her the the amount, a whole bunch of them. And they were so happy. That's the point. It wasn't like, okay, I guess I won't, you know, go to the movies or whatever. They were just like, how much do you need? One guy asked her, is it just 3,000 or don't you have to have some money when you get there? What can I give you? So those of you who are being called to go, don't deprive those who are being called to, be, to send from their blessing, their joy in sending. I, my friend Brian in Wheaton, Illinois says, Thomas, sometimes I get these big chunks of return on my investments, and I don't know why. And I look at the Lord and say, Lord, is this for me? And he says, no, don't touch it. And I put it aside, and I say, okay, what's it for? And I wait. 
So he said, when you have a specific need or your mission needs something specific, write me with the amount and I'll look at the amount and I'll look at what the Lord's given me and I'll say, there it is. That's what that's for. And it's so joyful for him and so joyful for me to say, guess what? We need a well in Bangladesh. It costs $3,200. What do you got? He says, I've got it. Here, where do I send it? And we're like little boys in a candy shop owned by our Father in heaven. Stop wasting your time and your money on stuff that'll burn. Get on the train of Jesus' love that's going to the nations. And it needs gas in the tank. It needs people in the army. Get ready to go. Believe and confess and go. Paul says, not all obeyed the gospel. Did you know the gospel is something to be obeyed? See, the gospel is the good news of the king, rolled up like a little scroll, handed to you to ride your horse as fast as you can to the edge of the kingdom and unroll it and proclaim it. And in the book of Esther, it says it went in all the languages of the 127 countries of that kingdom. They'd send it in its language and they would unroll it and they would proclaim it in that language so that everybody in the kingdom would know the good news of the king. When the gospel came to you and came to me, it was on its way to somebody else. Don't you dare stop it with you. Take it. Run with it. Proclaim it wherever the Lord gives you grace to go. Wherever his spirit blows on the little sail of your prayer life and convinces you that that's your mission field. Lord, who has believed our message is answered by those who obey the gospel by going and telling it to those who haven't heard. All who trust Jesus and call on his name will be saved. That's you today. I hope you trust him and call out on his name. Don't leave here on your way to hell. But how will they trust in the one of whom they have never heard? I heard this week from my friend Azam in Pakistan that Alajita has been rescued. This is when I'm closing. Alajita was born in a brick yard, brick factory. His father was born in a brick factory. His grandfather came to work in the factory, didn't have anywhere to live, and so took up residence in a little room made out of broken bricks in the brick factory. His children were born there, and his grandchildren were born there, and he has a debt because sometimes the bricks don't dry in the rain and so he has to borrow money from the factory owner and his children and grandchildren have inherited that debt so that all the boys start making bricks at five years old so they can help pay the debt, the family debt. They don't go to school, they don't learn another vocation. All they know is making mud bricks all their lives for three generations. And Azam goes into those factories and he says, hey, could we have a meeting? I'd like to tell you guys some things. And he starts singing hymns. I was there with him, sang with him in one of these hot little rooms made out of broken bricks. Looks like such a beautiful church made out of all these broken bricks and slaves. And he tells them the good news. And they flock to him afterwards and say, how do we come? How do we call? How do we accept? Doesn't promise them anything. Just says, Jesus has come to save you. Well, Alajita became 
a small group leader in his factory, learned the Bible, sat with Azam, was discipled, and has become sort of a little church leader. And Azam wrote to me and said, how do I help this family of three generations to be free so that they can do the ministry? That same week, my cousin Jack in Virginia had written me and said, my wife and I have a little more money than we need. Is there a way we can help your mission? I said, would you like to meet Azam? I'll set up a Zoom conversation between you and Pakistan and Brazil. Let's talk. So I introduced the two of them, and they took off. Like, they're having conversations almost every day, and I'm not even a part of it anymore. And Jack raised somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000 to pay Alajita's debt, buy a piece of property, build a little building and buy a three-wheel taxi so that now Alajita has a way to make a little money and to move his little church into his very own house. And when I saw the video of that move, I started weeping and thought, the gospel is the power of God to set the captive free. And a church in the United States is helping a church in Pakistan to do that, one family at a time. I'm sorry, but there's no, there's no greater joy. There's no better investment. There's no better thing to do with your life than that. Obey the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the resource of your blood. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising again and giving us indestructible life through your Holy Spirit. I pray for anyone in this room who perhaps have heard it and understood it for the first time today, that they would have faith to cry out for salvation and be radically changed and born again. I pray for the rest of us that we would have ears to hear and believe and obey the gospel for your glory in the world to be known. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.